We are finishing the series under construction today. Uh, this has been a fantastic series. We've been in it for about two, maybe two and a half months, which is probably the longest series I've ever done. I'm going to be sorry to see it go. I'd, I've loved, have loved this series. This has been so much fun to be a part of. Uh, what I've challenged the church to do is read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, every week of this whole series. I know for me, it has been transformative in the way in which I view the scripture and my relationship with God uh, worked on me and, and kind of changed my life um, in these last few weeks. I hope it's been working on you as well. The question we've been asking every single week is this. We are all under construction. What kind of life do you want to build? We're all under construction. What kind of life do you want to build? We've been examining the Sermon on the Mount because uh, this is really the important stuff of Jesus' teaching. If you boiled down, you didn't have anything else of the scripture to read, and you had Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you'd be doing okay. You would be just fine in understanding what the Old Testament teaches, what the New Testament teaches, all these things. So these three chapters really are, are Jesus' stump speech. If he rolls into town, he comes to Jerusalem, and, he's, and the Bible says, and Jesus sat down to teach, well, what's he teaching? He's teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, this is his, his message. And so when we cut it up, I love to cut it up as a pastor because you've got to preach every Sunday, right? And you need material all the time. And so every week you want to cut it up because there's so much goody going on in the Sermon on the Mount. But really, it's Jesus teaching over this, this long message. I went to a youth pastor's conference one time, and a, a guy came, got up, and he was probably paid a lot of money to be at this youth conference. It was, it's, there's thousands of youth workers there. And he just opened up his Bible, and he read the Sermon on the Mount, closed his Bible, and walked off. That's, that's what he did. And we were like, well, what, what just happened? <laughs> but he, he just ended it, and he goes, it's the greatest message ever told. Click. And walked off. And we kind of just sat there. And then some people got grumbly. And then other people just sat there and just wept. Understanding the depth of the teaching that we just heard. And so as we dive into this last message of Sermon on the Mount, I want to kind of cover a lot of the different things that Jesus has been teaching us in these moments. Um, this has been um, such a wonderful time. If you haven't been a part of the, the other messages don't go, well, this isn't for me today. I'm, I'm just here this one time. I'm not going to get anything out of this. That's not true at all. Um, we try to, to make them flow and, and work so you, you don't have to uh, feel like you missed out. But if you do feel like you missed out, you can always go on our, our app or online and check out our past messages at scog.com. Um, it's just good stuff there and easy. Uh, definitely for driving or whatnot you're going to do. Or if you need to go to sleep at night, you're having trouble with that, you can listen to my voice. And, um, <laughs> Um, so if you look at Matthew 5, Jesus starts off the message looking at these people. Now, who is he preaching to? He's preaching to primarily um, just the everyday person. He's preaching to carpenters, fishermen, housewives, shepherds, just the everyday guy. And gal who's just trying to get through life. And so he's going through life. He's going there, especially at the, 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 the picture that we get on the Sermon on the Mount. He's out in the middle of the area called Galilee on the hillside. And all these thousands of people are there. And he starts preaching it. 
But you have to go, when you look out, like, just like here, when I look out at you guys, I see you. And those of you that I know well, I know your stories. And so when I'm talking to you, like your story is coming right back at me. <laughs> kind of like wind here in my microphone. Um, but your story is coming right back at me because I'm going, ah, this, this, this could be for them. I wonder if God's working on their heart in this way. And so I just, I, as I put myself there on that hillside as a person who's sitting there, but also, you know, what would it be like to preach to that many people? What Jesus is doing is looking at these people and, and, and he sees them. He sees them. He's not preaching to the back wall and just staring there and, and reciting this message. He's looking at them and seeing their soul, seeing their heart. And what he sees is people that are broken. He sees people that are in almost slavery. He sees people that feel like life is not going the way that I hoped it would go. That things are not turning out. My family's not the way it is. The government's not working out the way I thought it would be. My work's not going the way I thought it would be. You know, he was talking to people totally different than you guys. You don't experience any of those issues, right? He's speaking right to broken people. A couple of weeks ago, we just kind of laid it out there. We said, you know what? We're all broken. We all got pieces missing. We all got stuff. We all are dizzy. We all are disoriented. We all have gone through things. And Jesus is speaking right to those broken people. And what does he open up the message with? You who are broken are blessed. You who are broken are the salt of the world. You who are broken are the light of the world. So he starts his whole message saying, you who think you're so messed up, who deal with sheep all day long, you who are are neck deep in the mire of life, you, you are special. You are blessed. You are the salt. You are the light. Imagine that if these people who feel like they have no hope, they feel like their life's not going to get better, they feel like God has forgotten them, and here's this prophet, they don't know he's the son of God yet, speaking right into their lives saying, you are blessed. So he starts off the message that way and just continues on with that. He goes into, why are you broken? It's not because of the government. It's not because of these outside forces. You don't want to know why you're broken? I'll tell you why you're broken. It's because of these things. You are broken because of anger. You are broken because of lust. You are broken because of lying. You are broken because of greed. And this is how you fix it. Right? He goes right into those. In all Matthew 5, he goes into, you've heard it said, don't be angry at somebody. I'm, or don't kill anybody. And I'm saying, don't be angry with people. You've heard it. Don't commit adultery. I'm saying, don't lust. Like he's getting to the root of the problems. He's, he's stripping away all the other stuff and saying, listen, 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 listen. We have all these laws. We have all this stuff. You guys have made it about all kinds of things that it's not about. These are the things that break your life. When you give your life over to anger, when you give your heart over to lust, when you give your, your, your tongue into lying, when you give your, your mentality into greed, these are the things that are breaking you. These are the pieces that are, that are falling apart. Now, he tells them that, and often that's easy just to leave us there. You're messed up, Paul, because of this. But then he says, no, no, I'm not going to leave you broken. I want to show you how to be fixed. And quickly from the brokenness, he gives us tools to say, this is how you combat those tendencies. Because we all have tendencies, right? It's just the way we are to want to give in to anger. 
We want to give in to lust. We want to give in to greed. We want to give in to lying. Because we've talked about all kinds of different reasons for that. But we can all agree, like, yeah, yeah. If I, if I had a choice, I'd probably give in to that temptation in some way. So he gives us some tools to deal with that. And he lays out, and this is pretty much Matthew 6. He lays out these, these tools of love. How do you not hate your neighbor? You love him. He never said the tools were easy to use. He just said those are the tools. Love. And then he gives prayer. Then he gives fasting. And he gives generosity. How do you defeat greed in your life? You give stuff away. How do you deal with excess in your life? You fast. How do you deal with control issues in your life? You submit authority to God. How does this work? Because the whole message is centered on this one thought. On this one verse. Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. The whole thing is is pivoting on that one sentence. No one can serve two masters. Either you are serving, he's using money here, but it keeps on going. Either you're serving yourself or you're serving God. Who, and the question is, who has authority of your life? The Greek word there is kurios. Kurios is Lord, supreme ruler, prime influencer. Who has the pieces of your life? Are you holding them and trying to put the pot back together? Are you, you here going, oh, well, that broke off of me. Let's put some super glue on it. Oh, Gorilla Glue this time. It's really going to stick. And we smack it back on there and hope, but now you've got this broken, amalgamated mess of, a, of the pot. Or do you take these broken pieces and you say, God, 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 here you go. No one can serve two masters. I struggle with this. I like to be in charge. That's like a, I like it. I'm more comfortable that way, right? Anybody else more comfortable that way? So we like to be in charge. (laughs) People are like, no, no, no. Uh, We like to be in charge of that. But the the cure for these things, the way in which we we deal with the authority issue is instead of us being in in authority, when we're in authority, we go, hey, you know what? Anger doesn't sound that bad because I want to be in charge. You're dumb. When we're in charge, lust doesn't sound that bad because we're like, hey, you know what? I want this. When we're in charge, lying doesn't sound that bad because I want them to perceive me this way. When we're in charge, being greedy doesn't sound bad because it's mine, 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 mine. We're like a two-year-old. But when we give authority to God, we use these tools to break those cycles. See, when we use the tools, we get to love people deeply. When we use these tools, we love people deeply. When we use these tools, we give out of generosity, not entitlement. Think about that. When we give out of generosity instead of entitlement, this is so hard because deep down when you give to anything, right, you want something in return. I remember I was in college, um, and there was this uh, tear-jerking video on TV. The whole, uh, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about, like, you know, Sarah McLaughlin singing about some cats or something. You know, something's going on, and you're just, you're just dying. You're like, oh, my gosh, save the kitties. And I don't even like cats, right? And so it's, it's this thing, no. <laughs> some of you are like, yeah, Jared. Others are like, I don't like Jared now. Um, what a, um, 
And so you've got this, you got this, no, actually what it was was uh, wells in Africa. And you were giving clean water to people. And, but um, I was already, I was like, okay, it's 40 bucks. I can give 40 bucks and help, help this. And then they put on, well, if you give $40, you get this statue, um, this, this plastic statue of a person, at the woman at the well, I think it was, or something like that. And I was like, how much does the statue cost? I don't want to buy the statue. I want to give people in Africa water to drink. And I thought, how messed up are we that we've got to get a, a, a McHappy Meal toy back before we'll give water to people to drink? Right? And that's how we are. We're like, we, I'll give this God, but I expect something in return. I need a Happy Meal, you know, give me a little toy. Now, you go, I, well, I don't do that. Yeah, we do. I, I give to church and I expect church to do this. I, I give to God and I, I expect God to heal this or fix this or do this. It's, it's like I'm placing my order, God. Uh, yes, if I tip well, I'll get better service. <laughs> and I only say that because I've done it myself. Okay? So we give not, uh, we give out of generosity, not out of entitlement. We pray through relationship and under authority. These two tools, if we do the generosity piece right, and we do the prayer piece right, I'm telling you folks, your life will change, okay? If you, if you can give out of generosity, not out of entitlement, woo, that's, that's, a, that's not like a, a baby step. That's a huge, like, I'm reorienting my life. This next one, if we can change the way in which we pray, first of all, we need to start praying. That's a big thing. But um, this is a tool, right? But if we pray out of relationship and under authority, our prayer life will be dramatically different. Because the way in which I've prayed for years, it's like, um, yeah, God, if you could get to this, and uh, if you could do that, and that'd be great. Uh, yeah, by Saturday, if you could do those things, that'd be, that'd be good. Okay, can we, can, we, can we go on now? Okay, and then we're, we're, amen. And we go on with our day because we gave God our to-do list, and we expect him to <laughs> chop, chop, get it done. Right? Now, some of those to-do lists are very heartfelt to-do lists. God, I need you to heal this person. I need you to do these things. I need you. That's okay, because we're in relationship. God wants to hear about our hearts. But here's the problem, and the second piece of this is we have to do it under authority. Ooh. I don't like to be under anybody's authority. I have authority issues. Anybody else got authority issues? My son is already developing his father's authority issues. We know the day that he does not respect his teacher, we are going to have a behavior problem. Why? Because his daddy, when his daddy did not respect his teacher, we had a behavior problem. Airplanes become jets. Okay, uh, or I mean, I, I mean uh, pencils become jets. Uh, like in my head, they're already airplanes. Uh, so that's just, <laughs> that's just the way it works. Because we have this respect issue. You can't tell me what to do. You haven't deserved it. Let me tell you something. God deserves your respect, and he deserves to be the authority of your life. You may not know that. You may be frustrated with God. You may be extremely disappointed in God. I get all those things. I have been as well. But when we pray, we have to maintain this thought process of relationship, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, that means I have relationship with him. It's not, oh, almighty God, who's going to strike me down if I blink wrong, right? It's our Father. Daddy, Abba, Papa. But holy is your name. It's those two together. It's that you are familiar, you love me, 
you hold me, you carry me, but you also are the authority of my life. You see how that that changes prayer. That's not a to-do list, a, a, a wish list that we're giving to God. It is, I love you, here's my day, here's what's going on, but I am under your authority. That will dramatically change the way in which you look at prayer. It will, it will change the way in which you, which you get disappointed with God and, and, and look at God. Because if you knew, know my story at all, if you know who my, my family is, you know the things that we've gone through, I have gone through seasons of life where I've been madder and a hornet at God, disappointed in God. God, you must be broken. You don't work well. Just being honest, lots of tears and snot, disappointed in God. It's because I thought I was the authority and not him. That's a hard, hard thing to put yourself under. It's a brokenness that we don't want, but we're already broken. Whose hands are we going to place the pieces in? The next part is incredibly important. And that's, this is the, we've just been covering the last, you know, 12 weeks in the last 10 minutes here. So um, the next part, chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus says, hey, folks, I know I've just rocked your world. I've just blown your brains, like all this new information, all this. You've just summed up the whole Old Testament law and prophets in a 20-minute talk. <laughs> so everyone's sitting there going, oi. Right? Uh, oh, my goodness. I can't, I can't believe what's just going on. And he says this in verse, uh, verse 13 of chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. What he's saying is all this stuff I've talked about, the not having anxiety, not giving in to judgmental thoughts, not uh, giving in to lust, not giving in to anger, not giving in to lying, not giving in to greed. That is very easy to do. That's so easy to walk through that. That is a, you know, an eight-lane freeway with only two people on the road. That is, we we're having fun now. Narrow is the gate of what I'm talking about because it's hard. It's hard to submit yourself to God. It's hard to say, but I, but I like my pieces. I think I know where they go. I don't want to give them to you. Narrow is that gate. And only a few find it. It's hard work. I appreciate that Jesus says that to us. Because it's so easy to get discouraged. He doesn't say, you know what, this is going to be so easy. If you just trust me, life no, he says, the more you trust me, the more you give the authority to me, the harder and the harder it kind of gets. Because getting rid of anger and lust, greed, lying, anxiety, and judgmental thoughts, those are not overnight easy things to get rid of. But there's hope for you. Because now he switches into this, this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful speaking life into them. Because what he's doing, remember how he started the, the sermon. He started saying, you who are broken, you are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are the ones that are persecuted. Blessed all you've got, your life feeling like you're falling apart. You are blessed. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light 
of the world. And he says these blessings into them. And he's not just blowing smoke. He's speaking it into their life. My, one of my mentors, I was at a terrible spot in my life. And uh, I called him. He didn't even know me. He didn't know he was going to be a mentor of mine. And I, I, I called up the secretary and I said, could I meet with and have lunch with uh, Pastor Chuck? And she was like, uh, we'll see. Because Pastor Chuck didn't have lunch with nobody. Now, Jimmy, like, he did not, he was not, he would go into his office. I worked at this church, too. He, he would go into his office, shut the door, and have a sign that said, Sermon Prep and Process. That sign never left his door. So you're like, he would come out, like, to go to the bathroom, and the whole staff would, like, be chasing him down the hall asking him questions because the door was shut. You didn't bother Pastor Chuck. But I said, could I have lunch with Pastor Chuck? And he was like, she's like, we'll see. I get an email back about a week later. Yeah, he'll meet you at Chili's at blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, okay. I go to Chili's, and we're sitting there in one of the booths. And I'm talking to him and telling him about dreams and uh, dreams of mine. And um, he's just talking about, just talking. And he stops me basically mid-sentence, and he looks me right in the eye. And he says, Jared, you have what it takes. And I did everything I possibly could not to start busting out crying right there in the middle of, the, of Chili's. Chili's bar there with the, you know, we were sitting there and I, I'm just like, because eh. they were words, not really even from Pastor Chuck. They were words from God speaking to my heart saying, Jared, you're not broken. You're not too far gone. You're not too far messed up. You have what it takes. Sermon on the Mount. He's looking at all these people. He's looking at his people. He's looking at the Jewish nation. And he's looking at them at the eyes and saying, you are blessed. I know you're broken. I know your heart hurts. I know you will feel persecuted. I know you feel like you have no love left in your heart. You are blessed. You are the salt of the earth. You make everything better around you. You make it taste better. You preserve it all. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You have what it takes. That changes this wide road and narrow gate a little bit, doesn't it? When you start thinking about it in that context, you just go, he's saying, yes, it's hard, but you have what it takes. So as your pastor this morning, I want to look at you in the eye and go, you have what it takes. See, we've been talking about all kinds of measuring tools and what not to be measuring by and what what to be dealing with. And I know I've fallen victim to this idea of um, if I pray this much, I'm good and I'm on the narrow path because I I ticked off those measuring. You know, I can measure that and I I can measure it. And I fasted this many times, so I'm good. I'm a good Christian because I fasted and I I gave this much. So I'm a good Christian. I, I did these things. Not really paying attention to was my prayer life under authority of God? Was my prayer life uh, in relationship with God? Was I loving deeply? Was I uh, fasting to get rid of the junk in my life? Or was I fasting to earn like some, you know, Boy Scout badge on my Bible? And you guys probably do it as well, right? We, we see these things that, oh, well, only good Christians do that. And we make these tools, measuring sticks, and it throws us all off. And we wind up serving these tools instead of serving God. This causes major issues. Because finally, at the end of the message, God's going to give us what the measuring stick is supposed to be. What is the measuring stick actually supposed to be? It's not supposed to be how many times you prayed today. It's not supposed to be how much money you gave. It's not supposed to be how much you loved. It's not supposed to be uh, how many times you fasted. That's, that's That's a tool 
not a measuring device. Like remember I had all kinds of saws and different things up here that had little rulers on them that they're not measuring tapes. Measuring tapes are what you're supposed to measure with. The measuring device is found in Matthew 7, verse 17. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit, you will recognize them. It's thrown into the fire. He is bringing back the Gehenna idea. If you bear bad fruit, you're going to Gehenna, which is hell. You get cut off and thrown away. There's real ramifications for our actions. The measuring stick is what is your fruit? What do you produce? God's not interested in little ticks on a ruler. He's not interested in addition. He's into multiplication. He doesn't care. Like, measuring is not, not his thing. What are you multiplying? What is your fruit? We just had Thanksgiving. Right? The bountiful harvest of, of all of our, our work and our smashing of mashed potatoes and wonderful warming up of, of sweet potato casserole. But we get to see the, the kind of the fruit of our love and our, our work there exemplified on the table. We get to see it all out there. But if we looked at our lives as a Thanksgiving table, we said, What's my fruit? Who are the people that I've been investing in, I've been loving deeply? What's my fruit? What are the relationships I can hang my hat on and say, that is a healthy, beautiful relationship? What's, how's my fruit? I love that a bad tree can be changed to be a good tree producing good fruit. Sometimes it takes a little pruning. Sometimes it takes a different fertilizer. Sometimes it takes a little more love and care. But a bad tree can become a good tree bearing wonderful, beautiful fruit. So when Jesus says this, he said, listen, listen. I'm into measuring multiplication. I'm into measuring what is the fruit of your life? Not how many times you prayed, not how many times you gave, how many times you fasted. I want to see the fruit. That's what the measuring stick is. Is our life based on love and generosity? Or is our life based on how we can control people, how we can maintain authority? Because bad fruit is anger. Bad fruit is lust. Bad fruit is lying. Bad fruit is greed. Good fruit is a life of generosity and love. I want to end this message <clears throat> the, with the same scripture that we started it all out with, which is Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. See, if, you, uh, if you have a bad foundation, your house is in serious trouble. I love on some of these uh, home improvement shows, they'll climb up in the attic or whatever, and, and all of a sudden, because they're professionals, they're in the attic, and I'm going, well, it's an attic problem because there's water coming in from the ceiling. It's apparently a ceiling problem. And the guy goes, "Now nah, you got to repour your foundation. If somebody said to that to me and I walked into a house, I'm like, you're pulling my leg. That's nowhere near the roof. It's okay. No, 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 no. It's because the foundation's not right, that everything else is not square, that everything else rips apart. You got cracks in your plaster. You got cracks in the roof. You got shingles falling off. You got all this stuff because your foundation is not set properly. When you deal with the storms, um, here's the deal about storms is even if you have a fantastic foundation, your shutters will blow off. Even if you have a fantastic foundation, limbs will go through your windows. Siding will be ripped off. Roofing shingles will come flying because we live in Chicago and winds are crazy, right? That will happen. The difference on what your foundation is, is is my house lean now to the left? Does it fall over or can I just do some maintenance? Because no guarantee here, the storms, I'm best you the guy with a firm foundation. He's like, yep, well, I got to restucco that. I got to replaster this. I got to put in a new window. But you know what? My house is still standing. There's no promise there that no chips will come off, that no rock's going to hit your house, no, that nothing bad's ever going to happen to your house. It just says your house is going to stay standing. Do you hear that? Because I, I, I've, I've interpreted it as, well, if my foundation is God, everything's pristine forever. I'm not someone who likes to go to the, the car mechanic. Like, if I buy a car, I feel like I don't even need an oil change. I'm mad that I have to put gas in it. Like, I paid money for it. It should be fine Forever. Am I alone with that? Okay, okay. Like, uh, my wife buys a, a phone, you know, eight years ago, and she's mad that it needs an update. You know, like, like you, maybe some of you suffer from that. Like, it's just like, I should never have to do anything ever. It's perfect the way it is now, and it should always be this way. That's not life. But what we get to do is either build our life on sand or on a foundation. I have a little string up here. I used to go on mission trips a lot as a youth and, um, and as a youth pastor. And it would drive me absolutely bonkers the first day of the mission. Because you know what you do when you're building a house the first day of a mission? You measure stuff, you put stakes in the ground, and you stand around a lot. It's boring. And for a 15, 16-year-old Jared, standing around a lot was not really a good option. Right? But what you do, and what we had a... Um, did many, we built houses in Tijuana, Mexico, which is a very exciting proposition. Um, but we built Mexi- uh, houses in, in Tijuana, Mexico. And so the first day, all we did was sit around and try to get string to be level. This is what we did. We tried to get string to be level. And no one explained to 15-year-old Jared that this was really important. They just said, Jared, go run around the block and entertain kids because you're driving us insane. True statement. Okay, um, but bless Calvin Bontrager and his... his patience with me. Um, but the whole day was spent getting string to be straight. Why? Because if we went to Tijuana and we built this some beautiful house that wasn't on a firm foundation, the first time a storm comes, that house that we worked so hard for and invested so much money on, it was all about the foundation. 
And so placing those cinder blocks in the right spot and, and putting the rebar in to hold up the house and doing all these things, that was the important part, making sure things were straight. Something as simple as lining up the string in the right spot and putting flags where it was and making it all level was pretty much one of the most important things we did all day long. Because if we didn't get that part right, there's going to be cracks in the stucco. The roof's going to fall in. And life's going to get really messy really quick. How's your foundation? Is your foundation based on sand or on rock? I want to ask you a few questions in this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Our foundation is not made up of what we do or have done. Our foundation has to be God. Our foundation is not made up of what we do or have done. Our foundation has to be God. Now, can you hear this? Because I want my foundation to be the stuff I used to do. And sometimes the stuff I used to do, I'm not too proud of it, but I I just keep it buried in the ground there. And I build my life on whether or not how I reacted to the stuff in my past. I built the, the, I use that as the foundation, maybe the the shame that I have. I use that as the foundation of my life, why I make the changes that I do. I use that as the foundation of my life. That's not where I'm supposed to do. The foundation of your life can't be things that that you... uh, Our foundation, it can't be based off of what we're doing and what we have done. Whether those are positive or whether those are negative, whether those are even God-honoring, our foundation has to be based on God. How do we make sure our foundation is based on God? It's a great question. When it comes to the brokenness of our life, the pieces of who we are, our attributes and our attitudes, instead of holding on to them and saying, this one's mine, God, Out of relationship and authority, we give it to the Lord. This is a huge step. It's hard. It's not easy. If our foundation is built on anger, on lust, on lying and greed, our foundation is sand and it will fail. If our foundation is built on prayer, fasting, and generosity, it will fail. Think about that. This one, I, I said this wrong going over the message this morning. So our foundation has to be built on prayer and fasting and generosity. No. No. Because if you base it on prayer, fasting, and generosity, what have you done? You've based it on what you do, not who God is. This is something I'm trying to learn every single stinking day. Because I like to be in control. And if I pray more, then I feel like I controlled it. If I fast more, I feel like I controlled it. If I give more, I feel like I controlled it. Your foundation cannot be built on these things. It has to be of God. Do you hear that? Do you see it? This is that's hard. I don't like this one. Let's, let's move on. No. If our foundation is built on anything other than, the, than God having complete control and authority of our life, it will fail. It will erode. Our foundation is not made up of what we do or what we have done. Our foundation has to be on God. It has to be in this relationship. 
in the mess, the pain sometimes, the disappointment, our foundation has to be going, God, you are God and I am not. Take the pieces of my life. I am broken and you're the only one who can fix me. Because all the other stuff of our life will never fix us. Not even good things. We are all under construction. What kind of life do you want to build? Ben, come on up. This morning I want to ask you uh, really to pray with me. Um, wherever you're at, whatever's going on, I don't know how you're, you're, you feel your life's going. I don't know how you feel that... Um, there's a lot of movement in the room because they're not leaving. They're going to get communion ready, okay? Um, but as we, we step into this, I want us to have this, this really hard question going on. Who has authority of your life? What are you building the foundation on? Is it stuff that you can control? Is it stuff that you do? Is it stuff that you've been because I've let the, the, the shame of my past be the foundation in which I make other choices. The person I used to be, well, because I don't want to be that person anymore, I'm going to do this, this, or that. I've let, oh, the person I want to be be the foundation of who I'm going to be. I will do this more, and I'll do this more, and I'll earn my salvation, I'll earn this, and I'll get a gold sticker this way. That still comes up short. But what God asks of us is to give us, give me, give me the authority over your life. You can't serve two masters. And so this morning, wherever you're at, just close your eyes, bow your head. We all can pray this, whether we've been a Christian for 50 years or we just came here searching for answers. But God, right now, I, I ask you to take authority of my life. I don't even know what that means for me. And it scares the bejeebas out of me just to think about what it is if I'm not driving this thing. But Lord, right now, I know I've messed it up. I have broken things. I've broken myself. So right now, God, I give you the pieces of my heart. I give you the pieces of my life. And I say, Daddy, will you fix it? Daddy, will you be the glue? Will you make something beautiful and gorgeous out of this life? Will you take these pieces and make your beautiful mosaic? God, right now, I submit to your authority. I submit to your leadership. I submit to your authorship of my story. God, will you forgive me of all my junk, of all the sin, of all my past? Will you make me a new creation and make me something gorgeous and beautiful? God, right now, I, I want to be someone who, who you look in the eyes and say, you have what it takes. You are blessed. You are salt. You are light. Thank you, God, for believing in me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Lord, I know the way is narrow. Will you help me walk? I want to bear good fruit, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.